0: Yes, how fantastic, Zoom for Sam podcast.
1: Greetings, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Zoom for Sam podcast, the show where I share my joy of Samantha Fox by spotlighting a single single in a single episode, a proud paw to the Fire & Water Records feed from the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I am your host, the somewhat cheeky when not completely naughty Zoom Yukonori and today I am spotlighting yet another one of my favorite songs from Ms. Fox's 2005 studio album, Angel with an Attitude. As I had mentioned at length in Episode 2 of Zoom for Sam, Ms. Fox had worked on this album at around the same time she was compiling her memoirs for the writing of her autobiography, which was eventually released in late 2017 with the title Forever and that, in effect, Angel with an Attitude became the most personal album Ms. Fox had ever released to date.
0: I think it's one of the best albums I've ever done, other than the Touch Me album, of course. But all those songs come from my heart, and if you didn't know me then, you'll know me now, okay?
1: While the album itself is autobiographical in nature, the lyrics of many of the songs were still able to speak directly to me and connect with so many aspects of my own personal life, the one song that had spoken to me quite literally, at least in pot, was the doleful, yet inspiring, fifth track, written by Ms. Fox and her dearly departed love Myra Stratton. The Power When I had heard the first verse of this song for the very first time, I had felt as if Ms. Fox was speaking to me directly. In my morning, I put on my makeup to hide the sadness deep inside. This face of many can't hide those tears reliving my broken years. I guess it's just the same for you. Yes, Miss Fox, it was just the same for me. I had undergone a number of traumatic experiences in my life. There was my mourning of the loss of my dear friend Danielle Parsons at age 16, which I had to deal with again almost a decade later, along with the ordeal of my being shot in Hong Kong. And even in more recent years with my chronic medical conditions... During all of these times, and many others, I've had to put on many faces myself in order to get out of my home and face the world. To go to school and go to work and help with the shopping and make my way through all of the necessary activities in life that unfortunately need to be done out in public. From my own personal experience of being broken, both emotionally and physically, I have found that it seemed much easier to deal with other people by pretending I was not broken, or at least less broken than I actually was. Sometimes I would even keep up the pretense with close friends and family that would actually know better. And sometimes there would be a painful reminder that would trigger all of those emotions associated with those broken years. For example... When I had first listened to Ms. Fox's self-titled album in 1988, there was one track in particular, which I will eventually cover in a later episode, that had essentially made me tearfully relive the final evening that I had spent with Dan in 1980. And as Ms. Fox had sung, I would dare to guess that is just the same for many of you, albeit on a different scale. And that illuminating just the same for you lyric was the last line that spoke directly to me. For as the song started to swell with the chorus, I realized that Ms. Fox was actually speaking to someone who, quote, gave her love, gave her pain, and gave her everything again. I would suspect, though I should not presume, that Ms. Fox was speaking to her father in this song. They once had a very close, very trusting relationship, to the point that Patrick Fox had managed the business and finances side of Samantha's modeling and music career. This ended in the autumn of 1991, after a very brutal argument, during which Ms. Fox was severely beaten by her then-drunken father and she started her fight to take control of the business side of things. She would later discover that for years her father used his managerial position to embezzle money from his daughter into various offshore accounts, as well as not pay any of Samantha's taxes since 1988, as well as seriously mismanaged her taxes in the years prior. The months and expense of court cases to regain the stolen monies which essentially had to go toward the back taxes and resulting interest and penalties owed to Her Majesty's revenue and customs, it had all essentially bankrupted Miss Fox. Taking my presumed interpretation further, the chorus could be a message to her father to take the responsibility to essentially change his ways, and although he had lost her trust, he did not necessarily lose her love. But that is one interpretation. The chorus can also double as a message from Ms. Fox to herself, to build up her own inner strength to endure and move past the awful events that had befallen her. This self-motivating pronouncement would come after a brief bout of despair, suggested by some lines in the second verse, in which Ms. Fox proclaimed, quote, I couldn't feel to fight. I couldn't give a damn the lies you speak. Wouldn't care if you were faking me. At any rate, the affirming message was definitely emphasized by Ms. Fox as she had briefly shared with me the key takeaway from this song.
0: This song came about after, after um, lots of crap and awful times happened in my life. But we have all got the power To have the strength to come through it all. Because if we search and reach in our heart, we can be bigger than anything. But we must be confident and we must feel we've got the power to do anything that we believe in. And if you believe in something and you search deep down in your heart, you will get where you want. Because you've got the power.
1: Again, I would not want to presume the personal meaning of the power to Ms. Fox, and I believe this song, as all of the other tracks in this album, would be open to interpretation by those who would know Ms. Fox better than I. So I will now focus on the key message that Ms. Fox had punctuated, the message to oneself to find the strength inside to make a personal change, to either achieve a goal or or, again, to overcome hardship. I should say right from the get go that I do not view Ms. Fox's words to be akin to those stereotypically fluffy motivational speeches that tell us that we can do anything we put our minds to, even things that would require a physical attribute or aptitude or essentially the dumb luck that not everyone can have. Ms. Fox says we need to search in our hearts which I take to mean to be truly honest with ourselves, in addition to being confident, that we could actually do what we believe we can do. And the changes to make can be small ones. When I had started my relationship with Namiko, it had been a few years after I, how they say, let myself go a little, I may have overindulged in a number of Indian buffets and dim sum meals, as well as visits to Joe's Ice Cream on Geary Boulevard. I had also lacked the motivation to continue my martial arts exercises, and I still consider myself very, very lucky that my muscle memory was sufficient enough to ward off a drunken attacker during Namiko's and my third outing. That incident essentially spurned me to start practicing Aikido again. And just being with Namiko inspired me to better my eating habits, lose weight, be more physically active overall, and learn how to dance. We both had taken a 12-week ballroom dancing course in preparation for our wedding, and for nearly 10 years after we were married, we did not let those lessons go to waste. The kitchen essentially doubled as our ballroom, and on many an evening I would take Namiko's hand right after she set a stew to simmer to share a brief waltz, or sometimes a quick fox-trot before we did the dishes, or a sensual tango after the dishes were done and after the kids were in bed. Whew, we love to dance, not just in the evenings but in the mornings as well, before we started to make breakfast and while the kids were getting ready for school. Until one Friday morning dance in late April 2016, when I suddenly lost all feeling in my left side and I fell to the kitchen floor. I had actually had a similar attack about a month prior. I felt a brief numbness on my left side while having lunch with the family. And Namiko assumed I was having a stroke, so we immediately cancelled our order and went straight to the emergency room. After a battery of tests, during which most of my numbness had subsided, the doctors had ruled out a stroke. And after a few visits to a specialist and a follow-up MRI, it was discovered that I had three tumors within the cells that surrounded my spinal cord and they were putting pressure against the cord and the surrounding nerves. The largest tumor was very close to the base of my neck. I was told an operation to remove them would be risky, so I was getting a second and third opinion to better size up our options on what to do. Since that first visit to the ER, aside from one mandatory business trip, I stayed home most of the time as a precaution and thus would still take every opportunity to steal a moment or five to dance with my wife. And after that Friday morning dance, it became apparent that we needed to do something about those tumors immediately. I consented to surgery, which involved removing sections of bone from two of my vertebrae. While the tumors were successfully removed, the pressure that they had placed on my nerves, as well as other complications, had resulted in severe paresthesia in my left arm and leg. And I had learned that term because that was how the doctors would correct me every time I had referred to my condition as paralysis, because I essentially had no feeling or movement in my left limbs. The doctors had been running tests to ascertain the extent of nerve damage while I was in recovery, and they were hopeful that I would regain some sensation and mobility with time. But after a few weeks, with essentially no change, I had pretty much given up hope, and even the doctors could not promise that I would ever regain the full use of my left arm and leg. After the surgery, I was confined to bed rest in a back brace and catheter for almost two weeks while my back healed. Then I was allowed to get out of the bed with some assistance and a wheelchair so I could get some hallway air or use the loo. For the first week of that, the nurses in attendance would help me from the bed to the chair and to the toilet and back to the chair and back to the bed again. And while I had eventually moved past the indignity of it all, I never did get over the realization of just how heavy my body actually was, now that I no longer had the ability to hold it up on my own. At any rate, the hospital staff had helped me for the first week, and with the discharge planning came the practice of Namiko having to help me move around. And despite Namiko watching and understanding how the staff had gone through the motions, and myself actually having gone through those same motions, our first attempt from the bed to the chair did not go so well. We both fell to the floor almost immediately after she had stood me up. The supervising nurse and the attendant stepped forward to help, but Namiko immediately waved them back even though she still laid prone on the floor. We have to be able to do this ourselves, she said. And it was at that moment when the full realization of my condition had truly hit me and how much of a burden I was going to be on Namiko and the kids. Namiko brought herself to her knees and then helped me get to a sitting position on the floor setting my back against the edge of the hospital bed before she put my falling glasses back on. And as she slipped her hands under my arms in order to hoist me up, I used my one working hand to reach around Namiko and just clutch her as tight as I could. My wife returned the embrace with both hands and asked the nurse and attendant for some privacy, as she quietly consoled me for several minutes while I let all of my anguish out all over her shoulder. I did not even wait for my crying to ease before I began to blubber a somewhat coherent apology, telling Namiko that she deserved a much better life than to have to... "'Now you stop right there,' she said sternly, so much so that it surprised me into silence. She pulled away from my arm so she could look me in the eye. "'We're going to get you back up on the bed,' and then we're going to get you in that chair, you hear me? I nodded, and I pulled in my right leg so I could press my right foot against the floor while I grasped the bed frame with my right hand, and with Namiko shouldering the weight of my left side, we managed to get myself up to a sitting position on the edge of the bed, and then we got me standing on my right foot to swing me around to the wheelchair. I did not so much set down as crash down into the seat, but still, success. Namiko, rightfully spent from the effort, set my left foot into the wheelchair footplate beside my right, stood up, and then plopped herself down on my lap, sitting on my right leg so I could actually feel her lovely weight. There, she huffed. Now that wasn't so bad. And then she stated that we'll get much better with practice she would be right of course but at that moment all i could do was concur with a wry remark about how we still needed to practice her helping me to the toilet oh we'll hire someone else to help you with that she responded with a smirk i could not help but chuckle but inside i was well i was still overwhelmed by my loss coupled with the fact that I was also feeling sorry for myself. What if this paresthesia becomes full-blown paralysis? I asked her. I then rattled off a list of things we used to physically do together, ending with the somber question, What if we already had our last dance? Namiko said nothing. Just smiled softly as she reached her right hand behind her back to take my right hand, which she guided to rest on her right hip. Placing her left hand on my right shoulder, she then held up my non-responsive left hand in her right and slowly started to sway it gently to and fro in the air. She then leaned forward to bring her lips to mine. And we danced. After a few weeks back at home and on family medical leave, and all of us becoming more adept at life with a wheelchair, thanks to the assistance of an at-home nurse, no, Namika was not kidding about hiring someone to help me with getting to the loo. (laughs) After those few weeks, we went back to the hospital for some follow-up testing, which pretty much confirmed that I was not going to regain any of my lost mobility. My heart cracked a little at the news, even though, again, I had already resigned myself to this possibility. But Namiko still held out hope for any improvement, and I believe that hope was what had enabled her to endure dealing with my condition for the past number of weeks. But now that this was officially our new normal... The doctor who gave us the news left the exam room, where Namiko and I still sat together in silence. I placed my right hand on her left knee and started to offer another apology, but she interrupted me. Now you listen to me, Zoom Yukonori, she began, her tear-filled eyes locked intently on mine. I don't care if you're at 50% or 100%, I'm still going to love you for all that you are. And she did, even during the times ahead when I did not. Make no mistake, while resigned to this new situation, I was far from accepting it. It would be quite a number of months, and several awful bouts with depression, anger, and self-pity, and wearing many faces to hide much of it. But eventually... I had found the strength within myself to accept this change and make it work, because I had a love right here from Namiko and our children Isamu and Aika that stayed the same. Thank you for listening. And my thanks also to everyone who had helped promote previous episodes of Zoom for Sam on social media. For those of you who are interested in exploring the Angel with an Attitude album for yourselves, the best place to purchase it would be from Ms. Fox herself at her website, samfox.com. You will find this album and other CDs and memorabilia including her forever biography, under the shop link, lovingly referred to offline as the Fox Shop. I had found that this method costs much less than most U.S. retail outlets that had imported the album, and this method would support the artist in one of the most direct ways possible. As always, please feel free to leave a comment on the show notes page at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And until next time, stay foxy, my friends. The views expressed on this podcast program belong solely to the host, who is not affiliated in any way with any music record label or entertainment company. All copyright and trademarks of music, audio clips, and quoted text are held by their respective owners, These are used for illustrative and entertainment purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. Special thanks to Samantha Fox for the music and the encouragement. The Zoom for Sam podcast is a Professor Zoom Productions production.
0: everybody listening to zoom i'm samantha fox all the way from london england thank you for being so supportive and um, i hope to see you all very soon well remember you've got the power to do anything you want in life just go for it you have the key to success no one can take that away